to the History in Today podcast. Uh, I'm Sam Zellin. I'm here with Katie Spinata. This is our episode six. Uh, we took a break last week because of uh, circumstances that came up quickly that we didn't really have time to respond to. But we're back. Uh, Katie, do you want to tell us what we're talking about today? Yeah, of course. So Sam and I decided that with everything that's been happening um, in the world right now, particularly with um, education, schools are thinking about opening back up. There's a lot of controversy about um, teaching in America, basically. So we decided that it would be valuable to talk about some events in in our nation's history that are related to education and kind of talk about how they have affected um, our modern society. Yeah, and I do think it's important before we like really start getting into like the statistics and stuff. Um, we're both college students, uh, and you know, speaking of modern day issues right now, I think it's important to address what happened with ICE in the last couple weeks because we didn't really talk about it last time. So basically, if you don't know, uh, if you're watching this in the future, um, ICE pretty much said that international students weren't going to be able to come if they didn't have in-person classes. Uh, and there was huge, enormous backlash against that, and this week it was finally uh, reversed, as a, which is really rare for them, for anything in the Trump administration to get reversed, but it's a big victory that very happy happened. Yeah, I think that the the thing that's the most surprising, I guess, I guess it's not surprising, but this this impact that was these regulations that were rolled out and were quickly you know repealed um they affected the international population for something that's not within their control and i think that our country's response to just the pandemic in general is is not enough and the fact that students who pay a lot of money to attend universities um the fact that they are being or that they were threatened with being deported for something that's outside of their control is just, you know, mind boggling and appalling. Yeah. Like it's great that they reversed this, but it's also just so stupid that we had to have this fight in the first place. It it shouldn't have happened to begin with. Really that's was. at least just my opinion. Yeah, I totally agree. But uh, so basically back into the regular scheduled program, the episode um, we're going to, instead of doing the timeline kind of boring droning on, format that we were trying uh because timelines are great we both love timelines but we're both history majors and we both want to be teachers so we want to kind of make it a little more accessible so we picked three um events that we're going to kind of talk about and use as jumping off points because they're you know brace yourself there's going to be a lot of rants in this episode <laughs> um but uh our three topics katie do you want to talk about them um, yeah, so we're going to start off by discussing the founding of the Department of Education in 1867. Then we are going to move into, for the sake of timeline purpose, even though it doesn't need to be in order, we can then move into the creation of the SATs in 1926. And then we'll just wrap it up by talking about um, Title IX and the Marlin Report, which goes into the modern concept of being gifted, which both occurred in 1972. Yeah, so while we technically do have four events because Title IX and the Marlin Report are independent of each other, it happened in the same year, so we're kind of lumping it together as that third. But um, but yeah, so I think to get started, if we talk about the founding of the Department of Education, I like didn't really know that. It's kind of embarrassing for both of us because we want to be teachers and we didn't really know we that. We just knew members. nothing about it. Uh, yeah. But like... I didn't know. So first of all, Andrew Johnson, who I think, did I talk? Yeah, we talked about him last episode when we talked about, um, like, the history of political parties. Uh, kind of a deadbeat president, but he founded the Department of Education. So good on him until you realize that uh, a year later, it was deemed too controlling because at the time, uh, Department of Edu Education was considered more of a state's issue. It was deemed too controlling of local schools and was demoted to an office instead of a department and was kind of shuffled around in different bureaucratic departments until you want to you want to hit them with the date. <laughs> Until 1979, it was not given sole sole status. It was just, it was just a tiny little, like, entity, like you said, Sam. Um, which is that's so that's more than a hundred years. Just so where it just 
it just sat in purgatory basically. And I don't know, I think there's something to be said about Andrew Johnson and, you know, like he's someone who, who pushed for, you know, he like pushed back against reconstruction in America and that same president, you know, developed something that's so integral to our, to our society and education today. I don't know. I feel like the fact that that is the case is quite interesting. Um, and definitely something to worth, um, it's definitely something worth noting. Yeah, I think it's it's really just, it's crazy how like we celebrated the bicentennial in 1976, and yet we still didn't really have an official like uh, autonomous education department, which it did, it did exist, like the Office of Education existed on, after 1867, but it was either part of the interior or health and human services, it was called like health and health education and human services or something. And the really sad part is that we think, you know, 1979 such a, like, long time to wait for an education department. And I went on the, and I, I got all this information from the education department website. Like, they're not trying to hide any of this. But I went on, right. their justification for, for finally getting this autonomous status is um, <laughs> that in 1957... Sputnik was launched, and if you don't know anything about Sputnik, that was the the Russian probe that was sent into space, and it basically launched the space race. We had Sputnik, we had Yuri Gagarin, who got who was a man that went into space, uh, and America felt very behind. So of course, then they started pumping money into science education, which is a truth that Katie and I feel every day we go to Yukon. <laughs> Every day we go to Yukon under the history department and we see the see the buildings that are for science like half the half the academic buildings are for are for science research which I mean is valid I mean science helps us progress but so do, so do other things in our society as well so yeah like not to not to harp on Yukon or anything because we get great history. it's like that all over yeah it's, yeah, like, it's we like get, that all over the country yeah you know, like we it's get not great just history our university but also like yeah it's it's like that all over the country where like even if you look at the, the mm -hmm. department of education which is like supposed to be this you know this advocate they say well first of all actually we think of it as more of an advocate but really the, the advocates are the unions where you have like the the national education administration or association where that's like a union and that's protecting the teachers where this is really just to, it's supposed to protect the teachers in theory, but when Andrew Johnson founded it, it was mostly just to get information and statistics on schools, uh, which, you know, not really sure that's working out right now. But to go back to the point about 1979, like we wouldn't have even really gotten there if it hadn't been for the fact that that Russia was ahead of us. Yeah, that Russia was ahead of us, and America yeah. needed a win, and we needed to be this, you know, this just giant in every area of winning pretty much but we're still way behind in education from a lot of countries these days so clearly that didn't work yeah i just think it's interesting because it's supposed to be the department of education is supposed to be something that is widespread and it benefits the the majority at least that's how i think it should be um but right now it's kind of just all over the place um and so now like i think part of the reason that we didn't really know about the history was because it's it's so over the place today um that that we weren't sure the the true goals of it yeah and to kind of to kind of rant a little bit about the department of, department of education and just like education policy like more contemporarily i think like you know we we've seen in our lifetime we've seen no child left behind and we've seen common core and i think it it becomes really clear that the objective of american schools to just kind of you know, on, on their objective on how to make schools better and how to, you know, put us far better on the world stage in education is 100% investing in the kids. And I understand the kids are the ones that are learning and the kids that are the ones that are going to be the future and the kids are the ones that are, you know, the, the statistic. But I think there's this really, really like, you know, they're just missing the ball and the fact that you also have to support the teachers and the faculty and just everybody that runs the system. And I think that's really, really apparent right now, especially with like Betsy DeVos. Absolutely. I think the, that the way that you can help students succeed is ensuring that 
that adequate funds are given to the places where they learn. And no one could get where they are in society right now without without some sort of education. And I think there's something that needs to be said about making sure that that we're all providing enough money into that system so that all of our all of our children and future generations can um, succeed after us. Yeah, I think, you know, we are really focused on getting this kind of instant gratification of if we give the kids a better system to learn in, they will get better test scores. And I think that's not why Finland is such a good education, good education system. It's because they actually have the infrastructure and they're prepared to support their teachers who are then because like teachers, you know, you don't have to help the kids uh, without helping the teachers because the teachers are there to help the kids. So if you help the teachers, I guess in a way, it's kind of like an education version of trickle down economics, but it makes more sense in an education yes. setting. <laughs> yes. Yeah, help needs to come from all levels, not just the the child level, yeah. because they they can't do it by themselves. They can't learn like everything by themselves. They have to have some foundation, and then once they get to higher levels, they can obviously learn by themselves. But but it really comes from teachers, and it comes from from good environments. You know, if this if a school is is rightfully like built and it and it's maintained and all of that and there's enough money for school supplies for everyone like i've read i read something recently that said that teachers often have to use their own like money like not money that's provided by the school but they have to go into their own like savings to buy school supplies for the classroom which is very shocking but not surprising yeah i think that that that's definitely something that that could be fixed yeah and teachers like the, the responsibility that teachers have is like, you know, you have not only buying school supplies if they don't have the money, but also like in the event, in the event of like a, you know, I, unfortunately this is becoming more and more commonplace in the event of like a, an intruder in the school or a shooter or something like that. Teachers are expected to put their bodies in front of the kids. Like, it's not like, you know, Oh, this is a hero teacher that has to, you know, that, that decides to like that's that's a responsibility of the teacher as the the adult liable for all the children teachers are respect are expected to be like the protectors of these kids and again they don't you know really get that respect uh another thing you know i think more more current is just the covid thing where you know i saw the the trump press conference a week ago where he got up there and pence got up there and said literally you know, nothing about the teachers. Like he was talking about how the kids don't get COVID. He was talking about, which first of all, isn't true. Uh, he was talking about how, you know, <laughs> children don't get, children don't get COVID apparently. Uh, the the schools are safe because, you know, it's just going to be the kids and they're going to, you know, make sure the kids are okay. And they said the kids about 2000 times, but this entire press conference, which went on for like 30 minutes, didn't mention the teachers once. And because I understand that, yeah, you know, I don't want to be considered too biased towards, you know, the, the left, even though obviously I am. Uh, not the, the press corps also didn't ask any questions about the teachers. So this isn't this isn't purely a, a problem with the right. This is a problem where it seems like the focus of schools focuses on one half that is the more like visual half where you see the students are progressing and the students are getting grades, but you kind of forget who's grading and teaching the students. Absolutely. I think that that there's also a desire in addition to that, to making sure that every every student has the ability to like succeed at the same level, um, which I guess we can kind of transition now into the creation of the SATs. Mm -hmm. um, but I think to start off this conversation, um, the SATs were designed to give people with less of an opportunity a chance um, to to get into universities that are well known to, you know, um, succeed at a higher level and higher level education. Um, and so what started with good intentions kind of was eliminated in the sense that that the SATs don't take into account socioeconomic backgrounds, they don't take into account access to tutors. Um, it doesn't take into account how many times kids take the tests and the tests cost money. Um, I'm just gonna start off the conversation by by mentioning that, um, but you can add on to it however you want, Sam. Yeah, I think that I think that's a really 
I think I I, I would love to kind of come back to this later and just talk about just the college board in general and current college board versus old. But I think when you just think about the SAT, where, you know, we've all heard of all these schools that are quote unquote Ivy feeders. And, you know, even back then, back, you know, a hundred years ago, you have these schools that are the prep like Exeter. That's like a prep school that, you know, their kids go to Harvard and they go to Princeton. And it was created specifically, the SAT was created specifically so that people that aren't from those, you know, those East Coast Ivy feeder schools to be able to go, as you said. And what ha- the big phenomenon that happened, and this was, you know, the College Board existed, but it was not what it is today. And it also didn't control the SAT at this point. But what happened was, um, because Harvard was using this test, and it was just Harvard at the time, uh, it kind of, you know, gained a little bit of traction, but there were still many other tests that were used by every different school. But then World War II happened, and for some reason, <clears throat> uh, in you know the mid '40s, they decided you know World War II happened. We're just going to try to like get kids into college. Uh, what's a good way to do it? And that's obviously where like standardized testing comes in. And they say, okay, SAT time. We're just going to give it to everybody one day, three hundred thousand people, which is huge for you know the population was half of what it is today. Uh, but still, that, that's a huge number today. 300,000 people in one day take the SAT, and then since then it has been <clears throat> the the dominant practice of how to get into college. Obviously, the ACT comes in the 60s. Um, <clears throat> it is kind of the one uh, competition to the college board's offering, which is the SAT. But they're both, you know, as you said, and you can t- I want you to talk about it more, very... Uh, corrupted from what they originally were supposed to be yeah i think that that i mean connecting to everything that's happening today with with race and giving people equal opportunities i think that that's something that's always been prevalent in education is that there is a there is a disconnect between the value of education in places of high socioeconomic status and um lower socioeconomic statuses so basically you have a difference in quality of education which in my opinion should not exist education should be you know the same throughout throughout the board no matter where you are in the country um but you have this you have this disconnect for some reason or another maybe it's the people who decide funding for schools which we as we mentioned is messed messed up um so you have people who in their whole K through 12 experience, they don't have the the same, the, they don't have the same access to, to things that allow students to succeed. Like, like access to tutors, not even just educational purposes. It's also access to access to therapists, access to guidance counselors in the school. It's, it's all, it's all across the board, but how the SAT ties into that is they created a test that is designed to give everyone in the country an equal playing field, but education is not the same throughout the country. There are, as I mentioned, different qualities of education based off where you live, because I guess American capitalism, which not saying that's right, but I think that's definitely what it boils down to. Yeah. And, I, and an inherent racism, you know, that exists. Um, but you can kind of add on Sam if you want. Yeah, I do think that, like, another thing is, like, you know, the, the SAT, most most schools in America these days do have at least one offering of it. And I think that's just such a lame, like, it's such it, it's such a lame kind of excuse for saying it's equal. Where, you know, you said earlier, the SAT can be taken as many times as you want, but it's like $90 or something. Is it $90? I'm not sure exactly how much it costs, but it, it's definitely up there. And I feel like it's 70 to $90 or something like that. But so that's like, that's a hefty cost for, for one test. And I think the other thing that's important, you know, you talked about all the, the extracurriculars where it's like therapy and tutoring and all that kind of stuff. But the, the highest form of education that this country uses as kind of like its standard of, of high education in high schools is the AP system. And the AP system, first of all, not every, not every school has the same amount of AP. And the AP system, I'm going to kind of rant off this because it's also college board. 
it's not the it's not the same system in every school because every school is different and every school has this different amount of teachers that can teach certain classes. So you go, you know, you can have in the same region, you can have one school that offers two AP classes and then one school that offers 20 AP classes. And that one school that offers the 20 is also, you know, you think, yeah, they're, they're having AP classes. They're giving their kids more opportunities in college. But that, it's more than that because they're also giving them more opportunities to boost their GPA because most people that take AP classes in their school, their GPAs are weighted differently than people that would never take an AP class. So even, you know, if you have one kid that doesn't have the money to pay for the test, so he doesn't think that the AP class is worth it because APs, AP classes don't teach the they don't really teach the the subject they just teach to the test and i think that's another problem with ap's but they don't think the ap is worth it they take the honors version which is you know they quote unquote lesser they take that <clears throat> they get what is probably a different education because it's a different kind of teacher it's a different kind of curriculum but then not only that but they also get a different grade so if you get an A plus in an AP class and an A plus in an honors class or even a, a regular level class, the school and colleges are going to look at you differently, where they're going to look at, oh, this kid got a five on his school scale versus this kid got a four on his school scale, when you don't even look at the fact that the scale is different for the kid, as opposed to like, it's not like, you know, this kid, it's not like these two kids that one was taking all APs and one was taking no APs. It's not like they're on the same scale. And I know right, absolutely. try to adjust, but you really can't adjust completely because you can't get in the heads of everybody and why they didn't take an AP or how they couldn't take an AP. Yeah, and I think kind of the, like bringing it back to the SATs and the ACTs and standardized testing in general, I think that it's important to note that this this test is only a snapshot of your K through 12 experience, right? So it's a three hour test for 12 years of education that you've gone through. And I know that like testing anxiety is real. There are people who crack under the pressure of taking a test. So they might arrive at the SAT prepared to take it, but they, but they, they fall or crack under the pressure. And so their grade doesn't actually reflect or their score on the test, I should say, doesn't necessarily reflect their educational ability. And I know that colleges try to circumvent this by also looking at GPA, but they they always put more, more. I don't want to say more consideration, but I feel like it. the SAT is a determinant to weed out candidates, yeah. which I think is which I think is wrong, because like I said, they're using a test that they claim is equal to all students when not every every area in the country has the same amount of attention to education and the same amount of funding and the same availability of classes and the same access to tutors and the same access to all of those things that are important that that allow you to adjust and be adaptable in in any learning environment plus so. the, plus the gpa argument of oh they can also look at gpa goes back to what i was saying about ap's where is it really exactly is it really equal and also when you look at like, you know, these, these SATs, uh, what you were saying about, you know, you can come prepared, but still have test anxiety. You can also, there's a difference between coming prepared for the SAT and being ready to take the SAT, where if you are, exactly. quote, if you're quote unquote ready for the SAT and you, you, you've taken all the classes, that means that you know how to do it in theory. That's one thing. If you take an outside SAT class or have an SAT, SAT tutor, for example, there are tricks that can make the SAT easier. There are, there are tricks you can do. There are questions you can skip and then come back to. There are many strategies because people have boiled this down to a science. So if you don't have access to that, you're automatically going in at a disadvantage. And the other thing is the SAT is curved. Like, it's not like the SAT is, you know, this, oh, you got a 1600 because you got everything right. You can, you can literally miss questions and get a 1600 because it's curved. You can, you know, you're competing against everybody else. And there's, as we said, very clearly not an even, play, even playing field. So maybe if they wanted to make it closer to an even playing field, they would get rid of the curve and make it just kind of everybody plays for themselves in their own arena. But that's just my take. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think that we've kind of given a good idea of our thoughts on the SAT and how it's so 
its impact on modern society. Um, so I think that now would be a great time, unless you have more to say, Sam, but I think now would be a great time to transition into um, Title IX and the Marlin Report. Yeah, yeah, we can come back to that if we want, but I think I think let's let's go to Title IX. Let's do Title IX first. Uh, do you want okay. to start? Yeah. Um. So the Title IX program was um or the right the legislation was enacted into law on June twenty third, nineteen seventy two. Um. Title IX, in a nutshell, um prohibits federally funded educational institutions, um, from discriminating against students or employees based on um or on the basis of sex. Um, and so basically what Title IX does is it allows um, any school that receives federal funding, whether it be an elementary or university level, any, any educational institution that has um, federal funding, um, it must provide fair and equal treatment um, for each sex um, in all areas, including athletics. Um, I don't know how how Title IX has been adjusted, or if it has been adjusted to address um, gender fluidity and people in the LGBTQ community. I don't know if that's something totally different. Um, it probably is, um, as, but I think that, that was- As someone that has dipped a toe a little bit into the, the, not varsity, but in college athletics and has seen like at least the, I'm a fencer, has seen the varsity, uh, I've seen college varsity fencing's statute on it it kind of seems like they're just keeping it up to each different jurisdiction where they just kind of make a call on it which i think is clearly needs to be changed <laughs> so there's so what you're saying is there's no like federal across the board law that addresses that and it's just up to each college and university it or could be wrong but considering that it seems like every every program that i've seen like every like tournament that's held or every uh it, it, they have to specifically put in their ruling on it. So I'm pretty sure that means, I mean, I could, I could look this up right now, actually. Uh, if there is, I don't think there, I actually don't think there is a federal ruling for um, non, for non, like, you know, non-binary. Let me look it up. Um, yeah, you can, you can keep talking. I'm just going to look it up. I'll continue while you're looking it up. Um, I think, think that there's something to be said too about, um, for the history of teaching, um, teaching has always been a profession that is deemed a, a woman's job. Um, and I think that carrying that into modern society today, like we see how, how teachers are treated. And I don't know if there's a direct correlation between it, it previously being a gendered profession, um, and now it, it is also being treated as a profession that's not respected, where the people employed are not respected. That goes all teachers. It applies to all teachers, men, women, people who fall under whatever um, classification they, they choose. You know, I think that everyone in this profession has been affected. And I think that Title IX does a good job enforcing it on the student end, but it doesn't do, there's nothing in place for that protects, protects employers or that protects um, educators from, from those same threats, at least to my knowledge. Mm. <clears throat> okay, so it seems like the, the Title IX uh, transgender situation is that uh, the bathroom, the whole bathroom debacle a couple of years ago, they did they did talk about that, but then they also rescinded it uh, with the Trump administration, unfortunately. And the horrible thing that I've seen recently, I'm reading in an article from the Times, is uh, that the inclusion of transgender students, and this is from our, you know, our glorious home state of Connecticut, the inclusion of transgender student athletes violates Title IX, is the argument that uh, someone from the Glastonbury School is saying so yeah so title nine so title nine uh very clearly has not been updated well enough in the fact that it doesn't really accommodate transgender people and the trump administration is currently using it to kind of per they're kind of perverting title nine and using it to say that transgender people are transgender people com competing in sports or transgender women competing in sports at least are uh a violation of Title IX, um, taking 
women's rights away. I- I'm sorry. I'm just I'm I'm reading this article and I'm very confused because this is such a stupid argument. <laughs> Which like I understand that you know a transgender woman would probably have more testosterone than a biological woman, but there are obviously you know there are ways you can say that it's not it's not a violation of t- Title IX, and there are ways you can figure out. I, I know um, <clears throat> there are certain you know, ways you can get, you can find ways for people to compete. And I feel like this is just specifically trying to outlaw. And that is this Glastonbury school district decision just seems very discriminatory. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like, I feel like stuff in that, in that arena shouldn't be added to title nine. I feel like it should have its own separate yeah categorization instead of trying to lump everything together i think that that almost like defeats the point that makes sense um as we yeah like as we progress um in a society we need to give each um each person who may feel marginalized or each person who fits it within um a minority group or someone who's been discriminated against they they shouldn't just be like lumped into previous laws you know i think that we need to going forward investigate and look into how we can make them separate to distinguish and lift up the people in those communities instead of trying to just lump it into a law that already exists yeah okay uh is it okay if i like totally go off on a tangent for a second here yeah sure okay so speaking of like making new laws that are about inclusivity and stuff uh i have this this just anger at the fact that um in the last five years, last six years, we have seen, uh, it seems like most of the, and this is, you know, more than just the last five years, but we've seen it twice recently with the LGBT community. I've seen that, you know, it seems like the only way we get any kind of progression is through the Supreme Court. And I know this is a huge, a huge plus, a huge victory that like, you know, we got gay marriage from a Supreme Court ruling. That's super cool that we have gay marriage now as legal federally, but where are the laws? Like, I'm sorry. Like, you know, we we are a country that has three branches of government. I do believe that, you know, you know, we, we have all this fear that, you know, the Trump administration is going to, you know, turn back Roe v. Wade. We're going to turn back uh, Obergefell versus... I always forget. Oh, it's Obergefell versus... You know who it is? The, the 2014 gay marriage ruling. Uh... Hodges. Obergefell versus Hodges. Sorry. Uh, okay. Uh, we always talk about that. Um, and we talk about, oh, they're, they're going to, you know, put conservative judges on the court and they're going to, you know, overturn these rulings and negate them. Why should we, why do we have to be afraid of that? Like, I, seriously, it's a country that makes laws, not a country that just uses judicial review. Like, I, I understand that, you know, we are, we are at a point where it is so, we are so sad that, we we can't enact our own laws, so we need to get the the courts to do it for us. And I understand that works in a in a system like England, where precedent is their law, and they don't have you know a written document constitution. But we do, and I think we you know, do. And it's twenty twenty. We should be making amendments. We should be making laws that specifically you know we had civil rights acts. It's possible. We just need to get Congress to get off their asses and actually do something. I feel like the Supreme Court effectively is Congress now because Congress just isn't doing anything. Yeah, I feel like kind of adding on to that, I think that the whole issue with with having just the Supreme Court decide these important matters that affect people's lives, whenever there are big wins for for people in a minority group or from people who have ever been discriminated against, Whenever those people experience huge victories, it's just a Supreme Court declaration that could eventually be overturned. Like there's nothing that's, if it's put in an, in the Constitution as an amendment, that has way more like clout to it. I guess I don't know if "clout" is the right word, no, but it has cool, way more backing. Yeah, yeah, it has way more backing behind it. And I think that looking at it now, it's just it's appalling because, in a sense. The fact that it's only a Supreme Court ruling and the fact that none of this gets into the Constitution as an amendment or as amendments, that's just a way to to it's increase. Just, it just shows how much, how the much system the way it is. Yeah, it shows how much contention there is in the legislature that we don't actually have, you know, 
they don't have the guts to actually just make it a law, even though, you know, it all It's a way to keep people unequal. Yeah, and in my opinion, you know, if if people like Mitch McConnell, who have seen that, you know, gay marriage is legal for the last, you know, since 2014, it's been legal federally, why wouldn't he pass an amendment? It's not like, you know, the only reason he wouldn't is because he's hoping that someday the Supreme Court case will get overturned. Like... You know, that, that should be bipartisan, that it's it's already, you know, the law of the land. Why don't you just, you know, put a seal on it and make it forever the law of the land? I don't understand why people just don't want to do anything because they, they disagree with the other side and they have to get their victories. Yeah. Yeah, sorry, that just, it just pisses me off so much. <laughs> no, understandably so. I think that, that... America has done such a good job of hiding its hiding its policies and government is so difficult for for most of us common people to understand that it's it's so elite in the way that it's it's formed that that the common person just doesn't understand the injustices that are that are being put against them in the back door things like only a supreme court thing being passed and not it not being incorporated into the constitution it's like we we value the constitution as this this long lifelong document that will carry our country through the good and the bad but the most important laws pertaining to the human rights of people are not even put in this constitution it's at this point it's like if it's supposed to be a living document why haven't more amendments been added to it mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, I just don't, like, you know, Brown versus Board of Education, for example, I think it's a great example, we, we talked about it last time, uh, or talked about it a couple times ago, but, like, Brown v. Board, you have this, you know, you have this, you know, anti-segregation here, anti-segregation decision, you know, it, but it didn't really do anything, like, you know, it obviously needed more and it needed acts, and that's what you need, you know, there were acts of Congress in the 60s that created more civil rights in this country, you know, that, you know, protected the civil rights. And I think, you know, yeah, sure, a Supreme Court case is a really nice first step. But I feel like people don't really think about it. And then they're like, okay, we got it. It's over. We, it's, we got it. And I don't think that's how policy works in this country. But uh, yeah. I guess we can go back to the education. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah really we went on off. a huge tangent. Yeah, I'm sorry about getting us really far off, but let's talk about the Marlin Report and just more in general, the contemporary idea of being gifted in the U.S., which I think is a horrible way to... I think it's a horrible word. Oh, yeah, no. so you can you can talk about no, it. No, 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 you can, you can go first. You, you can go first. Okay. Um. So the Marlin Report is essentially a report that talks about the opportunities that are given to people throughout the United States. Um, kind of similar to the um, SAT, it's, it's the idea that um, intellectual and creative talent cannot survive um, neglect and apathy. Um, so basically, if you are um, naturally gifted and you have a naturally high understanding of the world around you, education. Um, you you deserve to be given opportunities to to grow individually and to thrive in an environment that is best suited to reflect your your natural, I guess, talent. Which is how the report basically um, states it. And we will link the report and all of the information that we've been talking about um, in the bio, as always. Mm -hmm. um, but the, this is a, when you think about it, it's a system that promotes inequality because it allows people who, who yes, have those, those skills to, to thrive in a more perfect environment than, than giving opportunities to all children, you know? So it kind of gets at the hypocrisy in education and the way that we view education because we have something like the SATs that is supposed to create and give equal opportunity to all students but then at the same time you have programs that allow students who may be um deemed a higher intellectual capacity you're just giving them more resources to succeed without letting those who might not have that or those in who don't have the resources you're you're still neglecting them those resources instead of building up the people who need help they're only building up 
people who are deemed to have that quote natural talent, which is why Sam, I think you think it's so messed up. And I agree with you. Yeah. I think first of all, they take these kids at like age seven and they, they decide who's gifted and who's not. And I think, you know, like, I don't know everybody's situation, but my, my scenario, for example, we took, well, they didn't, they didn't call an IQ test, but it was an IQ test. Uh, it's called the, the COGATS or cognitive assessment in my, in third grade. And they weeded out who got into what classes. And if you look at who got into the gifted program in fourth grade, you can see those same people were the kids that were taking APs in high school. And it's, I think it's, it's really interesting to talk about where once you have this system that the American, the American school system is built on the idea that not everyone is going to succeed. And the fact that, you know, we had a program, the, the American motto of education was called no child left behind is such a joke because because there are children left behind yeah. every day because of situations like this where they value value some children over others yeah and we talk it's, about class size total hypocrisy yeah we talk about class size and we talk about you know how we we give you the perfect class for you when really if you're not considered one of the smarties you're just going to be put down the ladder and then for example, if you take an English class in your first year that is not honors and is, you know, lesser lesser down on the totem pole, you're not going to be prepared to take that leap to the honors one in, in the, year, the year later. So it's not like, you know, you're not good enough. It's not like you're not smart enough to take it sophomore year. It's that in your freshman year, you didn't get the tools to take it the second year. So once you start on the path, it is a slippery slope because the further you go into your I'm not going to talk about college. I think college is a little bit different. I think college, yeah, you know, the absolutely. I think college is different because I think there's so much more expression and so much more ability to take what you want. But the further you go into high school on the path that is set for you as early as like second, third grade without changing anything. And yes, it is totally possible. I think that's something that needs to be stressed with enough advocacy by the parents and by the kid. It is totally possible to rise above the the level that you've been put in but they don't tell you that they don't tell you that they don't want you to know that because they want their class sizes to be smaller they want their you know the, the ap classes can't have the entire school in them because then first of all you know you can't fill the auditorium with every ap test second of all um <clears throat> the, the teachers that aren't qualified to teach ap's now don't have jobs and third of all, the teachers that do, you know, can't teach, can't be everywhere at once, can't teach 300 people. So, you know, they, they really do have to compromise and they have to, you know, the majority of school kids, even in a good neighborhood, even in a good community that is, you know, that has a really good school system, uh, the majority of these kids don't get the opportunities that some of the more, you know, quote unquote gifted kids do. Because they weren't selected by the system. And there really is a natural selection system going on in the American school system that is very bad. Yeah, and then they use policies that that make it appear as though every kid is given the same opportunity when in reality that just is not the case. You know, when you do dive deeper into it, it's they're all of all of these these systems are put in place to counteract people and it just goes back to our capitalist society at large and i mean how do people people don't just come out of the womb like capitalists it's taught it's ingrained so the fact that it's in it's ingrained into the education system makes it makes it harder and harder to to, to fight against the capitalist society we have yeah. you know and then i think let's go back to like you know the sat for a second where, you know, the SAT, the ma I think the English section is pretty common sense as long as you, you know, I think the, uh, it's a travesty. I'm not an English, I'm not going to be an English teacher, but it's a travesty that we don't really teach grammar anymore. But as long as you have somebody that taught you grammar, you can get through the English pretty much at any level of high school. But if you're taking the math, the math is not hard math. It's not super hard math. There's no calculus on the SAT, thank God. But... There is Algebra 2 math on the SAT. And, you know, I took, Al I took Algebra 2 in sophomore year, so I was okay for when the, AT the, SAT the PSAT and the SAT came out. And I was fine. But I know people that took Algebra 2 in their senior years. 
And if you took Algebra 2 in your senior year, well, you're kind of screwed. If you took it in your junior year, you're kind of screwed. Because, you know, your SAT is scheduled in, like, September or, you know, even in March. You still don't have the full curriculum of Algebra 2. So, you know, again, this this whole layering system, like, yes, the SAT is presented to everybody. They give it to everybody for free. They try to give it to everybody for free in school. Yes. But also, there are kids that are taking BC calculus, AP BC calculus, while they're ready for the SAT, and yeah, their math skills are way better. And then you go back to the fact that it is a competition and it is curved, and now you have the BC calc students who can do all the math in their head. They know exactly how to do all the math. They know, you know, they algebra is a breeze to them, versus the kids that are literally learning algebra at the time they're taking the SAT. I wonder who's going to get the points. Like I wonder. <laughs> it's yeah, not, it's not the fault of the it's not the fault of the kids that are in algebra because they're you know they're learning it. It's not like they're you know not like these BC kids were just like oh yes I was born with the ability to do math. No, you're not. No one is. <laughs> yeah, I think bringing it full circle and kind of returning where we started i think that what really needs to happen for education to become more actually equal in america and not just a smokescreen of being you know equal mm -hmm. i think that we need to we need to all of us i guess particularly people in government because they're the ones who pull the strings but we vote so all of us mm -hmm. um we have to really look into what the department of education does we need to examine its history we need to make sure that that the department that was created to endorse the the knowledge of all americans we need to make sure that it's it's doing what it's supposed to you know we need to make sure that education is not something that's pushed at the end of a politician's agenda i think that that yes there are so many other issues in politics that that need to be at the forefront you know, and I'm not saying that they shouldn't be at the forefront, but I guess what I'm wondering is why isn't education also at the forefront? Because a lot of issues with with hum human rights and all of those things, it stems and it, it comes all back to education, you know? Mm -hmm. So I just wonder why why we haven't invested as much as we should to make the system truly equal and not just a capitalist, um system that has yeah it's basically yeah. a machine to generate stats because you say oh look we got we got all, so many people to get 1600s cool but how many kids got 980s yeah <laughs> yeah i'm sorry but yeah it's this this just this topic annoys me because i think that it's not and I think the worst part is the, the the cruelest part about the SAT is that it's run by the college board and you can complain about the college board all you want. But the alternative is being under the jurisdiction of the aforementioned Department of Education. <laughs> so, yeah. So yeah, you can you can private you can publicize the, the college board. Okay, cool. Now Betsy DeVos owns it. Uh she wants guns in schools. Because grizzlies need to be shot. Uh, she wants... <laughs> she thinks it's totally okay to send kids back to school. Uh, and she doesn't have an education degree whatsoever. So that's you, that's what you're dealing with. I think, you know, you really do need... If you're going to even, you know, attack the, the college board, you need to just totally reform Department of Education. You need to reform how, as you said, how politicians think about it. And it's just, it's a mess. It really is a mess right now. I think, you know, politicians think of, first of all, education shouldn't be a political a political issue. To begin with, yeah. Uh, teaching kids it should not be a political issue. Like, it's like, you know, I've, I've seen that people talk about this a lot. Black Lives Matter should not be a political issue. It shouldn't be. Black Lives Matter. That's a fact. Like, we shouldn't have to argue whether or not they do. But we do, unfortunately. And same thing with education, where, you know, does education matter? Yes. Does anything other than science education matter? Yes. Does science education matter? Of course. It, it all matters. But we need to, you know, acknowledge that and get to a point where it's not some contentious political issue to teach children. <laughs> yeah, I think to kind of close it off, 
um, like like Sam and I said, we are going into we're we're studying and preparing to become educators. And I think clearly, if anything is evident from the conversation that we just had, the issues that we see are not are not deterring us from from still taking that path. I think at least I can speak for myself. You can speak after if you want, Sam. But I think that us recognizing that these issues exist is is more reason to do it. If that makes sense, hundred percent. You hundred know? percent agree. Yeah. Oh, did you? So I. Yeah, do you? Yeah, that's all I have. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, so I hundred percent agree. Um, I think that you know, just to kind of, I guess, put the end card on it. There's not much we really have to say left, but I think it's just you know, I don't really know what to say. I think the the teaching, you know, teaching is a profession that we need more people to want to go in just to help kids. But I also think that you know, when the teachers help the kids, the the officials and the government has to help the teachers because right now it's a joke you know it's literally a joke where you know you, you tell someone you're going to be a teacher and they tell you oh have fun living a you know <laughs> fun living the life of poverty or you know it, it really it shouldn't be that way teachers deserve more and we're not just saying that because we both want to be teachers no i think it's i just think it's something that 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 is true because we of the issues we talked about teachers are expected to to do way more that is um that is outlined in their job description you know there there are unsaid expectations that they need to follow through on yeah. um and their pay just doesn't reflect that so which is really sad and i hope that it changes yep i hope that it changes and i hope that one day arguing for more teacher pay isn't a politically contentious and controversial argument but yeah, uh, I hope you guys really enjoyed the episode. We will be back next week. Uh, please follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and trying to get a Facebook up. Uh, we will have our links in the description of where we got our information from, as always. And I guess the last order of business is we are on Spotify, Anchor, Breaker Podcasts, uh, pretty much everywhere you get your podcasts except for Apple Podcasts. Still waiting on that. Uh, I have gotten some questions about whether or not I will. Uh, we will be eventually, I promise. Apple Podcasts will be one of our homes, but uh, not yet. But yeah, so I hope you guys enjoyed the episode. I hope you have a great week. Uh, see you next time. Okay. See you next time.